KVMR, FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino. Today is Tuesday, May 24th. It's 6 p.m. and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Anaheim's mayor resigned on Monday as the feds continue to investigate corruption allegations involving a deal to sell Angel Stadium to the team owner. The California Report unpacks the story with the help of LA Times reporter Gabriel San Roman before refocusing on wildfire. Economist Gary Zimmerman explains the latest inflation information, and Mark Cunaberti closes our newscast with a commentary on what he calls the ongoing market carnage. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Think Anaheim and probably Disneyland comes to mind. But in recent days, the Orange County city of 350,000 residents has been in the news because of a widening federal corruption investigation there. An investigation centered on the city's $320 million deal to sell the Angels baseball stadium to the owner of the team. Just yesterday, Anaheim's mayor Harry Sidhu resigned amid allegations that the city is tightly controlled by a cabal of business and political power brokers. Here to untangle some of this story is LA Times reporter Gabriel San Roman, who's part of a team covering Anaheim scandals for the paper. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me on. So let me try to condense this very quickly. Now former mayor of Anaheim, Sidhu, has been in these negotiations with the Anaheim Angels over a big redevelopment deal for the stadium property that would add a lot more housing and and stores and whatnot. As my understanding is that Sidhu is of concern because of what he's been sharing with the Angels in these negotiations. Could you talk more about that? Absolutely. The mayor, as detailed in the FBI affidavit filing, uh, which caused the stadium sale to come to a halt in Orange County Superior Court last week, he is alleged to have taken appraisal figures from a closed session meeting, which is to be very confidential, and passed those through Tadamant and a political consultant over to the Angels. So in effect, the, the Angels had the appraisal numbers for the property value around the stadium before the public in Anaheim did. And that would be a violation of the Brown Act. And other stadium shenanigans that are involved in this uh, investigation include you know, an intercepted conversation or wiretapped uh, conversation where the former mayor was discussing the possibility of basically having the angels contribute through independent expenditures up to a million dollars to secure his reelection once the angel stadium deal was complete. And so we have that. And then there was also a ruse that was set up by the FBI where Sadu essentially when presented with the appearance of an Orange County grand jury investigation you know that's where we get the allegations of witness tampering and and uh, obstruction of justice so there's multiple layers to why this stadium deal under the leadership of Sadu is now in shambles and can we take a step back from the mayor without getting too much into the weeds what's behind these accusations that a cabal essentially runs Anaheim 
and is running it not for the public interests, but for its own. Could you talk a bit more about that? Absolutely. I've been covering Anaheim City Hall for about a decade now, pretty diligently. And with former Anaheim Mayor Harry Zadu being elected into office into in, in 2018, it was really readily apparent that he was a very handled mayor in the sense that the chamber, you know, up on the seventh floor of City Hall, there was always chatter about the chamber, President Todd Ament being there, um, the political consultant mentioned in the you know, in the court documents, you know, definitely is alleged to have scripted, you know, the mayor's comments on critical issues at council meetings. And so that's, you know, atypical in a, in a, in Anaheim politics and that the mayor's office is so tightly controlled by outside interest. Of course, you have, you know, a chief of staff and you are your own man as a politician, but everything to do, seem to do from the Angel Stadium deal uh, to even just a really random conversation about, you know, uh, Disneyland and, and and a bond measure in a pandemic, you know, the fingerprints of this cabal were all over it. And the FBI agent suspects, and now the residents and the greater public suspects that this corruption scandal is going to continue in different directions beyond the stadium sale and beyond you know the effort to have retail cannabis uh, legalized in the city which is actually the ironic you know starting point for this whole thing because a uh, you know Melahat Rafi was a cooperating witness in the investigation and you know she wanted to go through the chamber uh, to get retail cannabis legalized, allegedly in the in the uh, court filings, um, and you know the chamber was the organization to get that done, so that a law could be passed by the city council with Mayor Sidhu leading it. All right, that is Los Angeles Times reporter Gabriel San Roman. You can read his reporting about what's happening in Anaheim at the LA Times website. Uh, he's covering the story with his colleagues there. Gabriel, thanks so much for joining us on the California Report. Thank you so much for having me. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care. Now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. Stanfordbloodcenter.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. A survivor of the 2017 North Bay wildfires is asking a federal bankruptcy judge to order managers of a fund for wildfire victims to account for millions of dollars that have been spent over the last two years. KQED's Dan Brecky reports. The Wildfire Victim Trust was set up two years ago as part of PG&E's exit from bankruptcy. The trust is supposed to pay for $13.5 billion in claims arising mostly from wildfires the utility caused from 2015 through 2018. But survivor payments have been slow to arrive, with $1.7 billion awarded through the end of last year. During the same period, the trust spent $132 million without itemizing its costs. William Abrams, who lost his home in the 2017 North Bay fires and has been involved in several proceedings related to PG&E and its wildfire safety record, wants to change that. Yesterday, he filed a request asking the federal bankruptcy court in San Francisco to direct the trust to answer 
answer questions about how it has spent that money. If the court approves, the trust could be required to begin providing detailed answers before the end of June. For the California Report, I'm Dan Brecky. And that is the California Report for Tuesday, May 24th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. This from the Associated Press. A Sacramento County resident who traveled recently to Europe may have the first confirmed case of monkeypox virus here in California, officials said today. Confirmation for the monkeypox virus is pending with the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the state public health department said in a news release. The patient had traveled to areas in Europe where cases of monkeypox have been confirmed. The patient is isolating at home. Officials said that the risk of monkeypox to the general public is very low. U.S. cases are related to international travel or from animals imported from areas where the disease is more common, they said. The state and county began investigating the possible infection on Saturday. Symptoms of monkeypox include fever, headache, muscle aches, swollen lymph nodes, and exhaustion, with the patient developing a rash, often starting on the face within a day or three of the fever. Transmission occurs when a person comes into prolonged contact with an animal, person, or materials that have the virus. The virus can enter the body through broken skin, the respiratory tract, or the eyes, nose, or mouth. Let's look now at regional weather. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight mostly clear with a low around 66. Wednesday will be sunny with a high near 91. On Wednesday night, expect mostly clear skies with a low around 63. In Truckee and the Lake Tahoe area, tonight mostly clear with a low around 43. Wednesday, sunny with a high near 79. On Wednesday night, Truckee and Tahoe will be mostly clear with a low around 48. In Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight will be cool and mostly clear with a low around 69 before heating up to nearly 102 degrees on Wednesday. Wednesday night will be mostly clear with a low around 61. A heat advisory remains in effect for Sacramento until 11 p.m. Wednesday evening. The central Sacramento Valley remains under a red flag warning through Wednesday morning. This is the Evening News on KVMR. Inflation is nearing a 40-year high, and economist Gary Zimmerman is here to explain some of the details. He recently sat down with Paul Emery for this week's Economic Report. This Economic Report is sponsored by Rick Kelb, Wealth Management Advisor with Northwestern Mutual since 1983 on Spring Street, Nevada City at rickkelb.com. Gary, the Financial Reserve is back in the news. Can you tell us what the Fed's chairman said about inflation and interest rates? I believe in their, they had a meeting last week. Well, uh, Chair Powell of the Fed uh, is paraphrased as saying that the Fed is watching for clear and convincing signs of inflation fading. Um, and he said the central bank is prepared to raise rates more quickly and higher if price pressures fail to, to fade. So, um Powell and his colleagues at the Federal Reserve's Policymaking Committee have a very serious challenge ahead. The Fed has been given two monetary policy goals by Congress, and 
president. And, you know, those two goals are full employment, probably around a 4% unemployment rate today, and a low and stable inflation rate. And, the, you know, the Fed has set that goal at an average inflation rate of around 2%, like most other central banks have. Okay, Gary, um, how close is the Federal Reserve to hitting both of those goals? Well, I think it's uh, baseball speak, we would say one hit and one miss. The labor markets have added back about 21 million of the 22 million jobs were lost during the short but severe COVID recession in 2020. And today's labor markets are tight. Job losses are at very low levels. And the unemployment rate down is is down to 3.6%. So, the, you know, the Fed is definitely on track with their full employment goal. However, as everyone who has bought food, gas, paid rent, bought a used car knows, uh, inflation is far above the Fed's average 2% inflation goal. And depending on which measure you look at, it might be three or four times the Fed's goal. How do economists measure inflation and what inflation indicators do you follow? Well, the inflation numbers we want to look at are measures of the overall level of uh, price level for a basket of goods and services that Americans normally consume. So, you know, the higher inflation rates are, the more it costs us to buy that same basket of goods and services that, you know, that we purchased last year. So, you know, if there's this high inflation, it means we've lost purchasing power. And I regularly follow the Personal Consumption Expenditure Price Index, or PCE. It looks at the overall cost of a basket of consumer purchases. Um, it estimates changes in the price of consumer goods and services uh, or the overall change in the price level over a period. Uh, you can also, and I, I do look at the Consumer Price Index and the Gross Domestic Product Deflator. Those are also important and frequently used measures of overall inflation in the economy. Okay, then how just how fast is inflation rising overall? And are there any indications that the inflation rate is peaking or maybe starting to slow down? Well, the Fed prefers and sets its average 2% inflation goal uh, based on the personal consumption expenditure per expenditure price index. And that one is running at over a 6% annual rate over the past 12 months or you know about three times the Fed's goal. Uh, the consumer price index or CPI measure of inflation has risen at over an 8% annual rate over the past 12 months, you know, four times the Fed's goal. So, you know, it's clear that the Fed has a big challenge to start lowering the inflation rate in the year ahead and to bring inflation down towards the Fed's 2% goal. But, you know, they also have to do that without or trying to do that without causing a recession where the economy actually produces and consumes less and the unemployment rate rises. Boy, complicated stuff, Gary. But how did today's inflation rates compare with, say, the 1970s inflation? Yeah, the high inflation rates today are, you know, are certainly high after years of very low inflation. Uh, but they're still low compared to inflation in the late 1970. In 1980, the consumer price index peaked at nearly 15 percent and the uh, Price, personal consumption expenditure index climbed up to nearly 11%. So, you know, the inflation rate in 2022 is the fastest since the late 1970s, early 1980s, uh, but it's still well below you know, what it was 40 years ago. Let's follow up on the inflation question. Uh, what are some factors that have caused inflation to soar in the aftermath of COVID? Just what's causing it? Well, the overall inflation rates are being driven by several factors, and some of them are related, of course. At the top of my list would be the disruptions to the economy caused by COVID, COVID suppression, the, you know, and then, then you get the COVID recession, the supply chain disruptions, um, households have shifted or reduced their spending at restaurants, uh, 
on travel and other services and increased their uh, purchases of manufactured goods. And that, you know, that caused a shortage of manufactured goods and driven up their prices and the overall price level. So lots of things going on there. Well, what should we be expecting going forward for the rest of this year uh, for interest rates, the economy and inflation? Uh, Do you see things improving? Well, we know that the short-term interest rates are going to be higher as the Fed raises its overnight interest rate target. And the Fed is, you know, expecting that, you know, interest rates are going to rise in general as it does that and um, through 2022. And we'll probably see those short-term rates move up to at least the 2.5% range um, based on what Chairman Powell and others have said. Um, And that will slow higher interest rates, will slow spending on durable consumer goods that require financing, and it will slow spending on investment spending and you know slow the economy as well and the the big question is how much you know slowing will there be and you know fortunately we still have a strong labor markets and relatively robust overall household financial positions and spending you know that can help sustain the recovery even with you know higher interest rates so you know inflation will i think likely peak and maybe fall a little bit depending on some high risk factors like you know additional covid waves continued, how long does the war continue and the sanctions in Europe continue, um, that will continue to keep upward pressure on energy and food prices. Um, So that's, you know, that's an issue uh, going forward. And then, you know, and then, you know, for the Fed, it's a real challenge, um, you know, in this situation, you know, monetary policy can slow inflation, uh, but it also could cause a recession. And um, if monetary policy, you know, aims to you know, maintain the expansion, you know, that could you know, allow inflation to continue at higher than they, they would like to see it. So it's a, it's a challenge for policymakers today. Okay, Gary. Well, it's a lot of information for folks out there. And I thank you so much for keeping us up to date. It's a big, it's a big thing. It's affecting our lives, that's for sure. Okay. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Gary. Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the San Francisco Reserve in San Francisco and currently is a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria, where he teaches courses in economics and finance. Erosion. It's not just for geologists. Tonight, Mark Cunaberti talks capitulation events and prudent money management methods in this week's commentary. Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name's Mark Cunaberti. The Standard & Poor's 500 Index reached official bear market territory last week, albeit it closed just above the down 20% benchmark on Friday, which marks a official bear market. Records are being set in many securities as the ongoing market carnage continues. The Dow is on track to have its longest losing streak in over a century. The major stock indexes continue to erode. The key word here is erode. Erode means a continuing disintegration over time. As painful as that is for investors, the next event could be even more so. As mentioned before in Money Matters newscasts and on my articles, historically when markets experience a continuing erosion, 
erosion over a prolonged period of time, a capitulation event needs to occur before the fall in stocks comes to an end. Capitulation is a throw-your-hands-up, toss-out-the-baby-with-the-bath-water kind of sell-off, which signals investors as a whole have reached a point where they just sell, regardless of any rhyme or reasoning. In light of the brutal daily declines we have seen in the Dow in the last few months, which have included more than a thousand-point drop on May 5th, a capitulation event could be in the order of a several thousand point drop in the Dow if and when it occurs. Keep in mind no one can forecast market direction any time and I'm no exception to that and markets may not necessarily repeat past movements. It is concerning, however, that an event such as a sell-off of that magnitude might be possible. Prudent money managers and option traders utilize stop-loss strategies to try and limit losses, and it is in my opinion that retail mom-and-pop investors should emulate such methodologies by lightening up on holdings along the path of a sell-off event. In speaking with many investors, however, many just sit on holdings and hope things get better. It is true over time the markets have recovered from every setback, although some setbacks hurt balances so bad it can take a long time to recover, years, maybe even a decade or more. No doubt selling some stocks on the way down raises cash, so when the bottom does materialize, there is dry powder to buy stocks at a much lower level. The more severe the crash, the better the prices on stocks will be, and the higher the yields on dividend-paying stocks will go. Selling also gives the investor at least some consolence that something proactive is taking place. Buying stocks at lower prices with raised cash from previous sales also help recover losses quicker than just riding the crash event fully invested. I doubt anyone could argue with that. Those with cash from selling during the plunge might look back years later and think, thank heaven they had cash and picked up some great buys in the midst of the carnage. Having a plan goes a long way in helping calm nerves during times of market duress. It can also be prudent money management and installs some loss control machinery in the portfolio and the plan provides a blueprint for how to maneuver during crashes. Concluding the time to have a plan is before the market's correct. Calmer heads will then prevail during times of market upset if the exit plans, in case of crashes, are formed beforehand. Like a fire evacuation plan, the time to formulate such plans are not in the midst of crisis. That does it for today's Money Matters. The views and opinions expressed are my opinions only and may not necessarily reflect those of this station, its staff, management, or underwriters. Newscast is not meant as investment advice nor solicitation to buy or sell any securities. I hold a Bachelor of Arts in Economics with honors from 1979, San Diego State University, and hold California Insurance License OL34249. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. My name's Mark Cunaberti. That's our newscast for this Tuesday, May 24th, 2022. 
Head on over to our webpage, kvmr.org, to listen to it again, or subscribe to our podcast and get it delivered right to your favorite electronic listening device. KVMR gets support from Four Paws Animal Clinic. Dr. Susan Murphy and Sue Lester and staff are proud to support KVMR, providing medical, dental, alternative, and surgical services for cherished companions on Searles Avenue in Nevada City. FourPawsAC.com and the State of California and the California Earned Income Tax Credit. Informing Nevada County's Hispanic population that filing taxes can support the immigration process, provide access to public programs, and also yield possible tax credits and returns. More information, mycaleitc.org. Thanks very much for listening. I'm Claudio Mendoza. We'll see you right here tomorrow for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.